Greetings, boils and ghouls. You're listening to Crypt Creepers, the podcast where we exhume and rejuvenate the greatest horror anthology of our generation, Tales from the Crypt. I'm Mary Johnston, and with me is this disgusting old coot, Thomas Johnston. Hello. <laughs> yeah, would you, uh, do, <laughs> would you like to put on your fake voice for the audience? <laughs> Hello, it's me. I'm disgusting. That's your that's your normal voice. Put on your radio voice. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. There we go. Here's, this is the sound of my voice. This is a talking a picture. A talking picture. Good old singing in the rain to- topical reference at the beginning of the show really helps. Well, you know, cons- uh, considering that I think our, our our listening base is entirely comprised of our parents. <laughs> Their parents are like, this we is get all right the down jokes. The middle. They're like, the thing I like about this podcast is I get all the references. I know every one of these jokes. So today I want to talk to you about a little actress we like to call Amanda Plummer. Mander Plums? <laughs> Mander Plumbums? <laughs> Mander Plums. I do. I do. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'll get us back on track. Gee, Mary, who's Amanda Plummer? Gosh, don't you know who Amanda Plummer is? Don't <laughs> pretend to be dumb. <laughs> so today we're covering an episode of Tales from the Crypt that features uh, one of your and my favorite character actresses, Amanda Plummer. It, it does? <laughs> yes, you watched it. Stop <laughs> pretending to be dumb. <laughs> Trying to be an adequate Watson to your homes. <laughs> Do you have any friends in your life that you re- regularly respond to by telling them they're great as much as Watson does for Sherlock Holmes? <laughs> no, of course not. Like, Watson's whole job is just validating the ever-loving crap out of Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is I like, mean, and then I noticed his briefcase. And Watson's like, you did? That's incredible. Holmes, extraordinary. I mean... This is a, Sherlock Holmes is also the kind of man who apparently has written multiple monograms about different kinds of cigar ash and not like in a not in a like cigar aficionado sort of way. So so what you're saying is deeply boring. A deeply also boring also a man, man who has intentionally forgotten whether or not the earth goes around the sun or vice versa because he does not see it as relevant information to his life. <laughs> well, Except- it's not like it's not like it's not like he's a dude who's like too busy to know what the date is. He like makes a big point of intentionally forgetting that. Well, y- you know, there's only so much room in his mind palace. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the BBC Sherlock really stretches it further. Where like the only superpower, it's a superhero show, but the only superpower is the power of mind palace. Yeah, and like, are you telling me that a man who can slice roast beef on his cheekbones hasn't gotten that d wet? I don't believe it. <laughs> Whoa. Bit rude, bit rude. Mom and dad, uh, send all your angry emails to Mary. Thomas, you need to stop talking to our parents about this show. <laughs> you're like, you're I like, only, wait, speak, wait. I we can only say things mom and dad will like. <laughs> you're the worst kind of sibling. You're becoming the worst kind of sibling. <laughs> only appropriate fun. <laughs> only look. The best thing about safe fun. No, no. Yes. Okay. Back on track. Man <laughs> right. plums. No. Okay. Back on track. Right. So this episode, uh, which is called Lover Come Hack to Me, features one of our very character actresses, uh, Amanda Plummer. Who is, of course, Christopher Plummer's daughter. Christopher Plummer, of course, Captain Von Trapp. Um, Do you know who she... her mother is? 
Uh, no. She is Tammy Lee Grimes, who is the OG unsinkable Molly Brown on Broadway. Oh. Which kind of explains why Amanda Plummer is the way that she is. <laughs> Once I found that out, like I feel like a like a cornerstone piece that I was missing, like plopped firmly into place, and I was like, oh, right. And she's probably most famous for for the you know people who are not us uh, out in the audience. Um, she is probably most famous for being in The Fisher King, and also she is Honey Bunny in Pulp Fiction. She's uh, also just been in a bunch of like random stuff. Yeah, and she's she's a, she's kind of a striking person. She it, you know, character actress, of course, but you know once you see her, you you'll, you'll see her everywhere, and there's nobody else who quite looks or sounds like her. You one day you'll look in the mirror while brushing your teeth, and Amanda Plummer will be staring back at you. <laughs> like, Good grief! What's happened? <laughs> she's everywhere. You'll pass a store window, and your 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 baby will be Amanda Plummer. But Mary also. She is one of the rare famous people that both you and I have seen but not met in person. Uh, both <laughs> that, of us saw that's her. A, that is a weird Venn diagram. Yeah. Famous people I haven't met. Famous people I have met. In the middle is just famous people I've seen but haven't met me. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be kind of creepy. Like, I've seen you. I know you, but you don't know me. <laughs> I did actually wonder. So we saw her... Um, at the this uh, theater festival we go to every year as a family yeah. since I was eight, uh, with a couple breaks in the middle for when we were in college and they were the worst. And uh, she was in a 2005 production of The Lark, which is about Joan of Arc, and she was the titular Lark. She was Joan. Mm-hmm. But anyway, way to bury the lead. Amanda Plummer also is <laughs> a important part of the famous important significant seminal film right mike myers film so i married an axe murderer (laughs) a Um, movie that if more people had seen it in the theater may have taken us to an alternate reality where mike myers is not austin powers but instead is a winsome romantic comedy leading man with the world's worst butt cut (laughs) he could have been john cusack like, that was the fork in the road, and instead of it, he took the road less traveled by in the footsteps of Martin Short. He was like, I have the opportunity to be an attractive leading man. I've decided that I'm going to commit myself so totally to off-putting characters that I'm going. that's just going to define me for the rest of my life. Yeah, actually, that's an excellent, excellent comparison. Brilliant homes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Watson. So, yeah, I mean, poke around on these logs with my revolver. <laughs> I'm just gonna shoot these logs until the fire is better. <laughs> so, um, so I love. So I married an axe murderer. I feel like you and I watched it for the first time with commercials, obviously, um, on like Comedy Central. Some October in our childhood. I, I definitely remember watching it with you, and it's uh, it's really a sight to see. <laughs> it's great, um, and, and and strange, tonally very strange. It really does. It's one of those movies where you can tell they they sort of filmed like two different movies: one that is scary and one that is goofy, and then just sort of like liberally chopped and pasted them together. Yeah, I mean, 
on the one hand, you have there's just a lot of really weird stuff about it. Like there's a lot of weird Mike Myers specific things about it. Like he gets to do all his bits. He gets to pretend to like walk down the stairs behind a couch um, mm-hmm. and he gets to he hug gets to play his own father, who's a Scottish sort of proto fat bastard character. Yeah, he gets to, like, celebrate his Scottish heritage in a way that no one with Scottish heritage ever does. Um, He gets to... uh, (laughs) He gets to hug someone while in a state of undress, and then you get a shot over your shoulder while he makes, like, a frankly precious facial expression. All the classics are in there. It is, though, also kind of fun to see him in a role that isn't... uh... Austin that Powers. Is totally informed by Austin Powers. Like you get to see kind of a little bit of the, the somewhat wider range of stuff he could do. From the man the, behind the cravat. From the from the Wayne's World Saturday Night Live sort of days. Uh, but perhaps enough about this. Uh, Wait, though this was a fun and significant movie. You don't want to talk I, I more should, about we, So I Married an Axe Murderer? I, I want to talk about it so much. I wonder if we should save it for a bonus episode. Really? Okay, fine. Fine, fine, fine. I like how much we've talked about Mike Myers, but but uh, I made a plumber is also in the movie and uh, as the titular axe murderer, right? But 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 spoilers. Um, she is not the romantic lead, the female lead. Uh, but she basically does exactly what she does in this episode in the movie, which was made several years later. And I tried to do a little bit of research and dig up something. Were you able to find anything that uh, uh, suggested that? One informed the other. I, I wasn't, though it seems almost impossible to me that somebody didn't see her in Lover Come Hack to me and were like, that's our girl. Or at the very least that she saw the the call for this and she's like, you know, I have, I've done a role where I have got to use an axe. <laughs> I've murdered a man or two with an I axe. Have, I have axe skills on my resume. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that if they did not call her specifically because of this, I'm pretty sure she brought it up in the mm-hmm. in the uh, in her uh, her pitch for this role. I just like to imagine that uh, that Mike Myers was was went full method and was constantly in character reciting terrible beat poetry. Harriet. <laughs> Sweet Harriet. He does only have the same sort of bits, so it does make you wonder if he is actually just always in in, in um, doing method acting in that he is himself and everything. Yeah, almost like he's kind of a hammy hack. Yeah. Huh. I don't think he's a hammy hack. I think he's a wonderful <laughs> hack. He's, he is a Canadian treasure. <laughs> he is a haggisy hack, please. Quite Scottish. Quite Scottish. But you hear that, Mike, Amanda, you want to come on? You want to host a special bonus episode with us? We'd be more than happy to talk about this film with you. Hmm. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Amanda Plummer. Any other notable talent attached to this particular episode? Yeah, I would say that this um, this episode is directed by Tom Holland. Who I you think would might... say that or is it true? <laughs> I Both. <laughs> When I saw this, I thought to myself, Holland's fingerprints are all over it. I would say that this is, would would you agree with this, Mike? He is the first sort of proper horror movie director to to take on an episode so far. Uh, Um, Class of 1984, Psycho 2, Thinner, My Personal Bet Noir, Child's Play, The Langoliers, Fright Night. Fright Night is such a good movie. Yeah. So The original Fright Night. Don't watch the garbage new one. This guy has some chops and the 
uh, screenplay is by Michael McDowell, who worked on Beetlejuice, Nightmare Before Christmas, Tales from the Dark Side, Thinner, you know, no big deal. <laughs> Just Thinner. That, the, the, that, the, the Criterion Collection classic, <laughs> Thinner. <laughs> That's super important. Uh, horror film. But I, I, I did read uh, Mr. McDowell's uh, IMDb little biography blurb, which states that he uh, it wants you to know that he collected pictures of corpses, specifically pictures of decapitated train victims and plaques from baby caskets. He also um, wait just was... in general or to prepare for the screenplay. No, no, like like just in his life as oh. part of being a oh my god a a a, 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 a screenplay writer in New England, and he is. Uh, supposed to have uh, written in the mornings and spends the rest of the day looking out the window in the hopes that something interesting will happen. Oh my god! So he, he sounds like, like he's real... he sounds like he's writing the world's worst OK Cupid profile. I feel like I feel like he's just a regular old Stephen King New England weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> totally, totally. By that you mean a terrible Coke monster? <laughs> I, may, I, I I couldn't find. I did not go looking for any evidence of that. Oh man, he's like one. He's like one uh, Manhattan clam chowder is my favorite food away from being my nightmare date scenario. Ugh. Also, though, with the baby caskets on the decapitated train victims, what if he's actually though like a you know a Lord Nightshade, you know, like a top hat and a frock coat, like a like a Dark Shadows character yes. popped yes. off yes. the screen. I that rather would... like looking at pictures of dead children. Oh, you're right. Yeah, no, he's a full-on Anne Rice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, that would be terrible. Like, how much... I guess there's only one way to tell. How much velvet pantalones does he own? <laughs> how often I does like he gird of... his loins in velvet and lace? <laughs> I like to think that every bed is a coffin of sorts. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you think that he... Uh, like so decapitated does that mean he's looking at the body that doesn't have a head or is he looking at the head without a body I dude if you, if you get decapitated by a train I assume there isn't much head wait but I could I'm, be now ju- I'm now just paying attention to this that's yeah. a thing <laughs> like what are people getting tied to the train track <laughs> snidely whiplash style how are you only getting decapitated by a train do you hit do you get hit by a train and your head pops off like a cork Mary, you ever been on a subway? You know how, like, there's always that one guy who wants to lean way far over <laughs> and see if the train is coming? Is that for real? It's people on the platform whose heads are struck off by a train? <laughs> I like to think that's true. <laughs> that's crazy. That's utterly crazy. I can't... <laughs> I mean, actually, okay, but so, so you know, right, like, you'd be like, okay, so this, this is, like, the ultimate and traumatic amputation, but it's probably kind of old-timey, so these photos aren't, like, you know, he's not, like, he's not, like, so not, these like, photos- not like Nightcrawler, he's not finding people yeah. and being, like, I'll give you $100 for, for the picture you have on your smartphone. You know, these are probably, I'll like, give you $100 if you let me drip my camera in the blood. <sighs> you know, totally, totally, uh, yeah. Jake Gyllenhaal is like, you know what? I'm uh, I'm done being attractive and uh, likable. I'm going to take this role. Thanks. <laughs> but um, the 
so so presumably I bet these are like sort of old timey black and white photos or whatever. Yeah, and so it's like taken in imagine. someone's parlor and like there's and the decapitated victims in a Sunday best surrounded by their family. <laughs> totally dressed, totally dressed, no head. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a woman in a what wedding dress in the picture. What could be more natural? What the photo costs a million and a half dollars by our standards. We're gonna make <laughs> sure normal. it looks good. Highly normal. People are such weirdos. Like I understand. Like I understand. They were like, "We got to get a picture. Who cares if the baby is dead? Make it, dress it up, <laughs> put it in its finest." Like, what a weird choice. What if? What if? What if we're, we're eating this all wrong? What if like the number of pictures of decapitated train victims is like twenty? Yeah, I have all twenty pictures. <laughs> It does seem victims. it does seem quite small. It seems it's like it's like yeah, I own all of the good Polly Shore movies on Blu-ray. Like it's a very <laughs> tiny number. Yeah, he's just like he's just like or maybe it's maybe it, maybe it's like something in a movie where it's like there are only fifty-five pictures of decapitated train victims, and I have forty-nine. <laughs> Getting the last six is a job for this man. Yeah, this is right before he meets like the, the ninth f- gate. This is right before he meets the Frog Brothers in the Lost Boys comic book store. It's like, <laughs> exactly. oh, that's a that's, that's a pretty stiff book. That's, yeah, a, this? that's, a, that's, that's a, pretty, a serious book. That's a pretty serious picture, man. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, I do wonder if it's like when you're a kid and you have like three of something and suddenly you're like, I am a collector. Of this. <laughs> now I collect. Now yeah, I, I collect rocks now. I collect totally genuine Native American medicine bags. And you're like, no, you don't. You sure don't. You sure don't. I collect gravel that's been in my knee. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. This guy would, uh, Michael McDowell will only collect gravel that's been in someone else's knee. He's just that kind of creep. <laughs> I collect original Phidias Gage prints. <laughs> Jesus. Yes. To be to be fair, this this gentleman actually is deceased, and we are perhaps making 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 light fun of him. But uh, how did, did surely he get, did he get buried like a an Egyptian mummy surrounded by his uh, by his collection? You know, it doesn't say. Did um, they cram him into one of those little baby just, just, coffins? Yeah. Piled, piled, piled high with the with the, all the photographs. Maybe he found, he caught the last one. Got to catch them all. Mm-hmm. I'll got teach to, you if you got teach me Pokemon. That's right. Uh, anything you do? You find out anything about uh, Stephen Schellen? So I, I looked into him. He's a Canadian actor. Um, he was Canuck. a lumberjack. For a bit, which is is completely unsurprising to anybody who sees his rippling musculature when the shirtless scenes in this uh, episode. But um, he uh, he's been in a lot of stuff. Not 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 really much of which I think he he had a guest spot on Northern Exposure, (laughs) Um, but not anything that very uh, Canadian really, really, really like jumped out to hit me in the eyeballs. Mm, Okay. All right, well, uh, let's get into it, and uh, and I'll give you a brief summary of what happens in this plot. Do 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 do
Mary, Mary, Mary. It's Amanda Plummer. So shouldn't it be? That's uh, Mir Salou by Dick Dale and the Dale Tones from uh, Pulp Fiction. Oh. Yeah, like from the beginning of Pulp Fiction. Barely in Pulp Fiction. Um, but she, no, she's a great part of it. She's I love you, honey the bunny. best part. The titular character. No, she's not. <laughs> she's the, she is Pulp. Pulp J. She's fiction. Pulp. The other dude is fiction. It's amazing. A rich, timid bride, Peggy. That's Amanda Plummer. And her jerky gold Amanda digging. Plums, if you're nasty. Groom, Amanda Plums, if you're nasty. And her jerky gr- gold digging groom, Charles, set out on their honeymoon and wind up in a creepy yet strangely welcoming abandoned manor. Charles is planning on bumping Peggy off for her fortune, but first he wants to bump uglies. Turns out, Peggy has almost the exact same plan. Bum, bum, bum. So this is a story that pits a gold digger against a black widow. Um, and I, th- I thought that was kind of fun, actually. And also inverses it where the gold digger, uh, I think traditionally we think about, especially in Tales from the Crypt land, as that being a, a woman. And we have our first gold digging man, um, which I think I think changed kind of and, and allowed me to, to figure out something about uh, Tales from the Crypt gold diggers that I hadn't really thought about before. What's that? I, it did not occur to me that Tales from the Crypt thinks that we will not be sympathetic to a gold digger because they're committing the sin of greed. Mm-hmm. We're supposed to think that they're a bad person because they're grabbing at things they didn't earn. They're greedy. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, that didn't really occur to me when I, re- when I was watching these. Did it occur to you? Uh, not exactly. Um, I think that, I mean, for starters, right? Blah, 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 blah. Gold digger, Black Widow. The, the male version of being a black widow, perhaps being a blue beard, all of this kind of weird and regressive. Oh, but, blue beard. But also, ref. you know, 19, 1950s, 1980s, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, 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 again, I just maintain that these, these, these Hollywood producers must think that, that gold diggers are like the most evil and uh, pressing danger. The most, the, the biggest, the biggest threat to all of America are, yeah, people, sure. Are like fake friends and women who want to get your money. <laughs> Clear and present danger. Yes, obviously. I mean, at least in this case, um, he he is uh, he's sort of a jerk, and also doesn't take you very long to figure out that he probably is gonna is gonna kill her. Uh, so so you know that 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 does help with the sympathy. But I'm t- but I, I I agree with you 100 percent. Where it seems weird the 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 idea that the greed and unearned wealth is such a big deal is is not. Something that I think doesn't resonate with a modern, yeah, yeah. with at least this modern audience of two, as much yeah, as right. potentially it did in the ba- in the past. But I do, I do like this story more, I think, than an average like gold diggers uh, are awful um, kind of story arc for Tales from the Crypt, just because I think we have this like fun twist, of a I twist. Agree. Where we know Charles is a bad guy, like basically, like basically, he like grabs her on Edith in the beginning when she's like, "You're a bad man." He's like, "Who's gonna believe you?" Like yeah. he's like yeah. definitely sinister, definitely a jerk. And then we have Peggy, who seems sort of like mousy and quiet and and naive. 
And the twist is that, you know, we're hoping that he will not get away with hurting her. But, of course, he is the fly trapped in the spider's web. She is she is a far more dangerous customer than he mm-hmm. is. Yes. She also, speaking to that naivete, just as a kind of little sidebar, it is kind of weird. Like, every, like he, of course, talks to her kind of like she's a child and like she's a total pain in the neck. They're like the least happy newlyweds ever. Um, and, and that's fine. You know, <laughs> I of, do. Yeah. She kind case of asks in point, dumb and obvious questions as sort of part of her, her cover. But case in after, point is that scene with the map where yeah. like she where they're lost and she and he's like turns around. He's like, where are we on the map? She's like, oh, I don't know how to read maps. And the way how he reacts is he punches the map into the backseat of their car. <laughs> <laughs> what a crazy yeah. reaction. But even but even afterwards. Right. Um, Aunt, uh, Aunt Aunt Edith also kind of treats Peggy like she's simple, too. Like, everybody kind of talks to her like she's a little girl, which is a little, little bit weird. She's, she's, she's probably what we would call in the South. She's a little bit sweet. <laughs> a little bit sweet. Are you aware that Black Widow is the official FBI designation of women who, for women who murder their spouse, usually for financial gain? Usually they're poisoners. Usually they're serial murderers. Well, I think I, to, I knew the part about serial murders. I didn't realize that that was like that was yeah, like, like the term. Does they do they have other cutesy terms for things? They're like, yeah, this is a classic clown killer. He's a clown. Classic pump and dump. Yeah, he's a clown. He usually kills children. It's real classic. It's, <laughs> it's, a, like, real, it's a real scary clown situation. <laughs> this guy is what's known as a creeper. He was probably very off-putting to women in college. Extremely off-putting to women in college. <laughs> he's what we call. He's what we. When I was in the academy, we we I took a whole class on this, these sorts of guys. They're what we in the biz like to call a real creeperino. That's a, that's a technical term. That's what's what the profilers like to use. <laughs> it's it's as if uh, this is the FBI. Mm-hmm. This is like the Federal Bureau of Investigation is like, yeah, we're just going to apply real Seinfeld logic to all of this. <laughs> we're saying that creep, that creeperino and Black Widow should go on a date. God. But yeah, I, I, I wanted to put together a list of famous ones, but uh, I sort of ran. I, th- there are way too many. This this is not an uncommon phenomenon. Um Usually these people are hurting their, their, their children or their spouse for inheritance or, you know, other advantage. There also um, is, a, is a case of two women who wound up sort of taking out insurance policies on, like, drifters and then killing them with their car and then collecting the insurance policy. So this is pretty. What are those women's names? Um, let me see. Their names are Helen Golay and Olga Rutterschmidt of Hollywood, California. Um, sturdy, sturdy, uh, sturdy German girls. These ladies. I guess they were. They were seventy-eight and seventy-five, respectively, and they killed two guys: one in nineteen ninety-nine and one in two thousand five. Whoa! They were silver black black widows, silverback yes. black widows. That's <laughs> wild. Black, yeah. The killings what color became is their known back? as the Black Widow Murders. Wow. Wow. But yeah, the um the other the other I think probably. I don't really know if it's more famous, but a a more historical one is, is of course, um, uh, Marianne Cotton, who um, was doing most of her killings in sort of the mid-19th century. She poisoned three three husbands and at least 11 of her children with arsenic. 
mostly for insurance money. Jeez. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's pretty dark. That is Um, pretty dark. Why? Here. Sorry. Here's my question. Why do you need an insurance policy on a child? I do not know. How would you just. So you can collect money when they die. Also, maybe it was the old timey days. So it was kind of like he could work in a mill. He was working (laughs) in a mill. He's six. He's got hands. He can stand up. Can he see? What do you think? You think there's something wrong with my boy? You think he can't polish a gun barrel with those keen little fingers? <laughs> yeah. So also, right. So Bluebeard is the is the, is 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 what is not an official FBI designation, but is what sort of the the spear side version of this. The, a man who kills his wife, named of course after the folk tale. Um, in real life, men who kill their wives generally are also after insurance money, but in fiction, usually a Bluebeard is like nuts or massively abusive or in league with the devil or tormented by ancient evil or carrying on family traditions don't you uh don't you actually mean um a man who kills his wife is just commonly known as a murderer (laughs) well no but i mean but but this idea actually i guess what it really is is like serial oxoricide yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, men, men who kill men, men who sort of collect dead wives, marry and then kill people. I don't know. I don't know. It is weird. Like, that's the thing about, like, the staircase when they're like, they're like, yeah. And what's really strange is he had another wife. She also died falling down a staircase. You're like, that's that seems what? that seems not great. And based on all of the true crime podcasts I listen to and uh, uh, television um, mystery programs I watch, it's always pretty clear to me that, like, the minute anyone dies, the spouse is, like, the primary suspect. Well, that's true just in general. Most people who die are murdered by their spouses. <laughs> in fact, in fact, I'd say it's a good 90% of all dead people are that way because of their spouse. <laughs> I feel like we're working up to a real Tim Allen bit where they're like, they might not kill you directly, but they kill you in the I'll end. They'll kill you eventually. Huh? Huh? <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I'm saying, of course, that- I'm saying, of course, ho, 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 because Tim Allen is the world's most famous Santa Claus. <laughs> he, bo- yeah. he, he solved his misogyny with quantum mechanics. And he's the most famous Santa Claus in the world. Bring him out here, Tim. Let's just say this. Tim Allen loves a little bit of the ho, ho, ho. <laughs> if you know what I'm saying, by which Tim, I mean cocaine. Tim, Tim Allen definitely Boom, loves. callback, second episode. Loves a little bit of the ho, ho, ho. Ho, snow, ho, ho, ho. <laughs> There's something else I just wanted to sprinkle in here, sort of historically speaking. This is not, uh, this is only indirectly relevant, but... The act of a woman killing her husband in Europe for much of the Middle Ages and sort of early modern period was called petty treason. You know, the the idea that the man is the sort of head of the house, right? So if you kill the husband, it's sort of like rebelling against the mini state that is the paternal home. And this was usually punished by being publicly burned alive. And people were punished this way like, like, Relative, you know, in the last, you know, 300 years ago, this still happened. Whoa, petty treason. They didn't want to, they didn't want to call it flaky mutiny. <laughs> Small potatoes. <laughs> Rebellion. Yeah. 
Um, uh, actually, I want to say Incy Weensy Mutiny. <laughs> but yeah, so, micro so having, mutiny. So having set the table a little bit, I think we could dig into this. Um, what do you think, Mary? The, so this story is interesting because the black because although she, although Amanda Plummer is a black widow. She's not a tradition. She's not a traditional one. She's not like some sort of lascivious poisoner who's after his money. In fact, he is the gold digger who is being countered, countered Doug. Uh, he's after her money. Um, and it's kind of fun. It's fun to see a male gold digger um, who seems to be a little bit more of a like con man Lothario. Uh, and how do you, th- do you think that he's do you think that he's treated differently in the sort of by the story, by the tales in the tales from the crypt universe is being a, a man gold digger different from being a woman gold digger? Um, I think so a little bit. I think that in general, we are supposed to the traditional arc for a lady gold digger is she digs her gold, right? She lands the dude. <laughs> And then fate or the man himself deliver swift punishment upon her. We're never really worried about her physically harming uh, mm-hmm. her her prey, as it were. Yeah. Like by the time he by the time his gold is dug up, um, by the time she's exhumed his gold, uh, by the time she's troweled the gold, mm-hmm. it's uh, the her crime, quote unquote, has already been committed. It seems to me like there's sort of a twist because you have the implied threat of you've got this guy, Charles, and he doesn't actually love this woman. And she seems quite childish and naive and not not like not awake to the to the danger of her situation that you understand that this man is going to kill her without him actually ever really admitting that, you know, like mm-hmm. I think that that's the implied thing that that that. A gold digger lady will marry someone she's not in love with and just like put up with him and wait for him patiently to die. Whereas a gold digging man is much more likely to fully kill his wife so that he can continue his 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 uh, shitty ways with someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that's the biggest difference. So a gold digging man is usually a murderer. (laughs) The. uh, Yeah. The, the thing that this makes you think about, though, is this seems so 90s. Like, think about all the, like, basic instinct body of evidence. All those, like, dangerous sexy sex movies. A, a, which, a sexy which usually po- is, usually involves Yeah, which usually involve, there's this beautiful woman, and she screws the men to death. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, usually it's like, there's a beautiful woman, and a man who's been screwed to death is... <laughs> Is the chief inspector also going to have sex with her? And you're like, God, I, I hope not. That seems deeply unprofessional. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, he's definitely yeah. not supposed to. It seems like a real bad idea. Only her lawyer and maybe a cop who's probably an alcoholic. Who's probably an alcoholic and has a real bitch of an ex-wife. Man, you can really see the fingerprints of like some toxic masculinity all over all of those films. But 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 and not even just like regular old like shitty toxic masculinity though. I feel like it's definitely like weird Hollywood producer. <laughs> They're like, this is relatable. She wants how much alimony? Oh, she might as well be just killing me. Yeah, right. It's like, this is relatable. Who hasn't shouted into a car phone while cramming a burger into their face laced with Coke? This is normal. <laughs> Very normal. Every God-fearing man's done this at least once. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> exactly. So, uh, yeah, so I, I feel like that. But I think what's actually um, even more interesting about kind of setting these two up is that it highlights it draw it forces one to draw a comparison between the two. Once you realize that Peggy herself is actually dangerous, you can kind of think about it as like two spiders sharing the same web bat duking mm-hmm. it out. Yeah. And her motives, I think, put her in a place where um where this is also like a a, uh, a transactional relationship for her, right? Like Charles married her for her her money. That's transactional. He does not love her. He is marrying right, her right. so that yeah. he has access to her funds. She's also doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like I don't really buy when she talks about how she married him to and now has to kill him to keep their love pure. I don't really think she loves him either. Um, I think that she basically has see- he looks enough like her dad. And was willing to marry her that she was like, this is a person who's perfect for me to like fulfill this very, very specific role in my life to role play this scene from my past. Give me a child and then I'll chop him into pieces. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't. I, do you think she loves him? I, uh, I I would just take that if we accept and we have not we don't have any reason to not accept it, that she is sort of a simple and childish person. Uh, I think that maybe she thinks that they have a pure and true love because like she doesn't, you know, she's not especially worldly. Um, and in fact, remember there's that great, there's the great scene where she's advanced on him with the ax and he's like, no, no, no. See, you know, it's cool. Our love wasn't pure at all. I was going to totally murder you. It was all, it was all a bunch of BS. And she's like, but you didn't. So you do love me. And so I think she, she, for her, the love is like a, almost a performative thing. Like she needs, she needs yeah. the child, and then the man is the, the the man. It was a perfect love, and then she can kill him and feel like she had this perfect love, and nothing can change. And he can't, he can't even talk her out of it. You know, forty five minutes after they've completed the sex act, because like, no, no, I've got it. It's you know, we have to, we have to seal it in amber right away. So like, you know, so do I think that she really loves him? No, but I, I think she thinks she does, and she's very invested in the idea that she did. Or, or, does. or, and this is something else that occurred to me, I, and I, I agree with you, I think that, you know, I think that the love is something that she's just kind of like, well, yes, and this is the love that I have, and here it is. And we had sex, and we made a baby, and yeah. now the love, yes, there is love, and the love is done, yep. and we are good. Exactly, exactly. But I also think that... Um, but I think on both parts of them, it's sort of a perversion of the concept of love and relationships, right? Like, mm-hmm. her... The reason that she has to kill him is also upsetting. That's also Mm -hmm. a a horrific element where she's like, we're in love right now, but we won't be forever. So I'm going to preserve this so that I can take back almost like control of the narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. Like she so she when because why why is she doing this so that one day she can tell this to her daughter and her daughter can do that, too. Mm -hmm. Um. So I kind of thought that was an interesting an interesting twist to kind of place in here. Generally, generally we accept uh, and why I started by talking about why why gold diggers must be punished in this in this universe. I think mm-hmm. in general we think gold diggers must be punish, punished because they're greedy. This really highlights gold diggers must be punished because it's wrong to marry people you don't love. Like, right? You, you yeah. kind of have that element. And she's also, and, and it's highlighted by the fact that she's also wrong. This is not what people do generally. And that is what makes their story so horrifying. Yes, I agree. I agree. 
this is this brings us to everyone's favorite topic sexual cannibalism sexual cannibalism is a practice practiced by multiple species of insects and arachnids notably some of the subspecies of black widows and basically all of the praying mantids this is the practice where after or sometimes during the mating act the female generally kills the male and consumes his corpse <laughs> um, this generally results in healthier or more prolific offspring uh, I found a fairly upsetting article about the uh, praying uh, a species of praying mantis where after the female beheads the male um, they continue to mate and in fact the um, ejaculation is more intense after the head has been removed from the body um, <laughs> Jesus. This is uh, supposedly evolutionarily useful because, like I said, there are more male, there are more babies. Um, they tend to be healthier in, in food scarce environments. Uh, and in fact, in some species of spiders, um, the male can only breed once. The uh, sort of mating hardware. He only is has damaged. one shot. Yeah, he only gets one shot. There are also some species of spiders that practice sort of reverse sexual cannibalism, which uh, is a practice, which means that. Uh, uh, the, the, these these particular spiders have um, the the fur the impregnated females will kind of like hunker down. I think they're like trapdoor spiders or something. They'll sort of tra- hunker down and burrow, and barren females will continue to scavenge for food. So after the mating season, the males will kill these other females so that only so that sort of the the females who are propagating um, get 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 dibs on all the food. <laughs> they're, they're, it's a it's a resource game. <laughs> it's a numbers game. It's yes. just like it makes perfect sense if you like. If, look, I can show you some charts. It's very normal, very good. Let's also agree that sexual cannibalism would be an excellent name for an album. <laughs> it definitely would. I uh, <laughs> sexual cannibalism. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of broadening that out. Um, one of the creepier parts of this of this story is the fact that she's reenacting this family tradition sort of Mm -hmm. as she puts it um and i think it introduces the idea that uh the kind of like the horror of marrying into a family and not fully understanding (laughs) the the, the norms of that family right yeah instead of but instead of like you know them supporting the wrong sports team or having like terrible thanksgiving dinners (laughs) you just get chopped up with an axe (laughs) Right. And it's and, and I, I think there's a lot of sort of subtle implied things here that that are that's scary, like the fact that Peggy knows wrote exactly what her mother said after like a, a, before, after and during like this whole pageant mm-hmm. must imply that her mother must have lovingly told this story to her many times over the course of her life, which is upsetting. When when Char- Charles also seems to know a surprising amount about it, <laughs> Charles Charles is like the most involved jerkwad gold digger. He's like Alan, that's her dad's name, who she never knew. I'm like, dude, because he me. died when she before she was born. They're like, there's no way Alan, there's no way Charles knows this. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, Charles, maybe Charles Charles is a professional. He takes very good notes. Maybe um maybe she had been playing subliminal uh like like messaging tapes to him while he slept. She's like, it's important for him to know his part of the script too. Um, but, uh, you know, it reminded me of other classic uh, horror movies. Generally, generally when you're faced with these kind of families, um, it's like, 
uh, a vulnerable wanderer comes upon a strange house and inside is a family that ain't right. Like mm-hmm. uh, like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, that family. Sure. Just regular cannibals. Maybe yeah. sexual cannibals. Who knows? Um, and that's terrifying because no matter where you turn, the people in this house are you. There's no one to appeal to. They're all mm-hmm. the same. They all have this shared norm. Or like Psycho, I think, is even closer to this story where you have a child kind of create recreating this pageant of what they think that their parents want or what mm-hmm. their parents what their parents taught them to do to survive in in society um and that's scary because families are are capable of forming their own little societies of rules outside of general laws kind of like this homegrown morality that uh that that strangers can stumble into and find themselves at a distinct disadvantage i i I love what you're saying and i want to expand on it i think that this story i mean right because this story is or the story you're describing is maybe the scary story, maybe the original horror story. And it's, and it's Gothic as all hell, which really, you know, uh, is as speaking as a genre, maybe one of the seminal horror and supernatural story genres, you know, you had Gothic horror named for the architecture style, generally involving uh, the supernatural obsession with location, aristocracy, crumbling order, um, ghosts, haunted houses, clergy, corruption, madness, incest. You know, um, we have Southern Gothic, New American Gothic, Poe, Chambers, Shelley, Bram Stoker, um, and arguably Lovecraft. You know, and this idea that there's something secret and wrong and bad. There's a labyrinth under the house. And by God, don't go down there because you might learn something about yourself that you don't want to know. Uh, I think I think I think this this speaks to those 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 themes in 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 a great way. Um, we we are at a disadvantage compared to the Europeans because we don't have hundreds and hundreds of years in aristocracy to fall back on, which is why I think that like Southern Gothic is such a thing. You know, the closest thing we ever had to a degenerative aristocratic class were the Southern planters and the terror <laughs> and, and the ter- and the and the horrible things they did. Right? It works. It narratively it works great right right they have they have the, the, the their um their shotgun houses somehow have enough room for all the the skeletons yeah right exactly exactly and so i, th- I think this i think the, that's really the south cool. is is built on the blood and sweat and labor and pain of right. other people just like europe right and, and, and probably you know right um the whole united states is that you, way when, too yeah, but, if you re- if you read some hp yeah. lovecraft or or you know um you also discover that New England is also full of terrible people like that. It's just that maybe they didn't lose the Civil War and so didn't quite have their noses rubbed in it to it to quite the same extent. Um, sure. Well, I mean, and also to be fair, like there are like five people and they're all just watching a whale get butchered uh, off a cliff. So that's going <laughs> to mess with the fishmen. Yeah, that's going to mess with you in a kind of a different way. Right. Right. But I and I think it's cool um, talking about, you know, gothic horror right i think that uh one of the one of the key elements is the haunted castle or the the haunted house and in fact the house in this story is haunted too um it 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 might be a little bit of a cheat since this also does my other favorite horror movie trope which is the like you see something and then is it then then oh it's a dream or is it a dream i don't know if it's a dream (laughs) yeah i mean what's funny too is i think that is what happened and there are slight differences in the story Mm -hmm. um 
So, oh, going back to something you said earlier about um, about her say, you know, like, does she really love him or doesn't she? Sure. I would argue that if she did think that he really loved her, why did she unload the gun? I think it's more <laughs> like yeah, yeah. the the series of events that happen, as long as all of those happen, she's like, we'll fix it in post. It's fine. <laughs> like, when I tell my child this story, we'll have been madly in love. Like, right, I w- yeah. it doesn't really matter the way it goes down. Um yeah. So, so I thought that was kind of like a, a funny moment. But uh, when you're talking about the fan with the phantoms, so there are inconsistencies with her story and what happens. Do you think that there was any reason to change the location for the deflowering, apart from the fact that the crew was like, "Yeah, we don't really want to hose down the couch twice." <laughs> it's more visually interesting if if there are sex scenes in two different rooms in the house. Also, if they did, if the murder did happen in the bedroom. It it, Char- it would be Charles would have more to, involved. Charles, Charles would, would have, have to like, like come be, downstairs and then go back upstairs. Or Charles would have to be like stand like taking a, a, a quick pee out the window and then they cut then they come in. You have to vacate the bed. I have I, I have a number of thoughts. Number one, can we talk about the fact that Charles looks like he's like a backup singer for Warrant or Aerosmith? Oh, His I thought he looked. I thought he looked like uh like a like an off-brand Fabio. Yeah, that's a little, yeah, same kind of same kind of deal. Yes, yeah. yes. And um, I love that when they make love in the bed, making love, uh, surrounded by candles, it looks like something from a music video. <laughs> from, it it's definitely like a, it's does. Very, it's very hair metal. Or possibly like you know something from like the crow, but like the crow city of angels, not OG the crow. <laughs> yeah, totally. It is. It's definitely, um, definitely one of those things where you're like, no, literally, this is no one's ever real experience. This is some Anne Rice bullshit right here. Yeah, I think that uh, Peggy's parents seem to be more into each other than Charles and Peggy are into each other. Um, Yes, I that uh, that I do think. I mean, it does seem like it does seem like Alan is 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 pretty in love. It is also really weird. Okay, so right, so uh, uh, Charles wakes up after surprisingly satisfying lovemaking with Peggy. I'm going to keep saying lovemaking. Uh, it's going to be my new thing. Making um, love. After <laughs> uh, f- 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 um, and uh, he 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 hears people outside. He looks and he sees someone who looks like Peggy, who he thinks is Peggy, welcoming this other guy into the house. They're getting kind of handsy and smoochy on the couch and they start having sex. And he just is kind of like watching them and being like a little bit weirded out. But he doesn't say or do anything until she says um, uh, something about how the sex is perfect. It's really perfect, which is what Peggy says to him when they were having sex earlier in the episode, Um, at which point he's like, oh, she never really loved me. And he gets all sad and weird about it. Uh, before then, so sort of, that doesn't matter, right? That doesn't matter. No, I mean, I think he's just like worried that some this dude's gonna take. I it. have the marriage certificate. She's mine. He also says, and I believe her when she said she was a virgin. And you want to be like, man, do you know how time works? I mean, she can be having sex with this guy, and it doesn't mean that. <laughs> um, although that is interesting, I don't think that Peggy's parents are virgins. They seem a little bit, yeah. Like can, she, can we, like the there's there's language used that would imply not like we're gonna make this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, c- can we talk about? Uh, I thought it was also really, really gross and upsetting. Um, uh, I'm jumping around all over the place, but when uh, Peggy and Charles are are making love, and she like makes like a pain sound, and he's like, "You really are a virgin," and then he <laughs> says, "Good," and then it like smash cuts to like like another part of the house, and you hear her like yelling. 
it upsetting. Yes. I, I didn't know where to look. Like it's so <laughs> yeah. that's it's very uncomfortable. Although I do think that it it plays nicely with kind of um kind of this concept of like of of violence and sex occupying a similar place. Like are those mm-hmm. cries of ecstasy or pain? I mean, they're definitely pain because Charles seems like a real jerk. Yeah, but um, also, also Charles Charles is into that. Ah. He, I mean, he is the worst. I mean, of course Charles is into that. <laughs> of course he is. Um, but I did think it was interesting. I did like that. I did like that kind of like that comparison between the two couples because I feel like it points to also, you know, she has this kind of like this story that's been told to her. And so, so and mm-hmm. I don't know if that was an important part of like the myth that she would have to, this would have to be the first time she's ever had sex or mm-hmm. not. But that like kind of like every time this story gets played out, every time this pageant um, is performed, you have to like up the ante a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I, I thought that that was like a, a kind of also clever and subtle, like something mm-hmm. that something that you don't even necessarily. Like, you know, of course, we have thought about it and I've watched it a bunch of times and and have kind of like picked it apart with a pair of tweezers to get to this point. But it, it it's just it goes without saying when you watch it, because we know these stories so well that you just mm-hmm. your mind, your mind automatically like jumps there without like a clutch. Like it just like slides gently over. You're like, yep, that's, of course, clearly what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, li- I thought that that was like really good. Some Tales from the Crypt really over explains stuff to you. I didn't feel that way about this one. I feel like there's nuance that that is accepted, just baked into the story. I, I'll grant you that this does still have hilarious, um, hilarious. Uh, uh, is there any hilarious expository dialogue? I mean, like the most hilarious oh, so, the, when they open up the glove box and you see the pistol. I was like, Joseph's gun. <laughs> Yeah, every gun that's in a Tales for the Crypt episode is belongs to Joseph. Yeah, probably. Um, as long I as mean, it's a pistol. Apart from apart from the that doesn't matter, that doesn't matter. Yeah, I feel like that was like, really Alan. That was her father's name, but he's dead. <laughs> but he's dead. Wait. Yeah. yeah Peggy, yeah. why is your hair different? Yeah. 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 Oh, I would also point out that um, when she's getting getting sexy and ready to make love with her husband for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, that th- this 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 has a surprisingly similar scene to what we see in the in the previous episode, where you see a woman's feet and her pulling panties on, and it's kind of like it's kind of like somebody's got a somebody's got a, somebody's really into this. Some I cameraman. Wonder, I do kind of wonder if they were like if that was like something that was like this is something we allow for HBO. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's just it's just a we. I don't know. It's kind of it's it's a weirdly specific thing, and you're like, yeah. There's 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 so, there's somebody in photography who's way into t- shots like this. I mean, maybe. Did you think the part at the end with Aunt Edith is a little bit weird? Like the way Aunt Edith talks, yes. it's almost like is Aunt Edith immortal? <laughs> well, you wonder how she's an all. Yeah, it's sort of strange. No, no, but, but yeah, yeah, but that, but that I think also is more of that weird gothic like, and my family has served your family, and maybe it's just me the whole t- like kind of you know. Um, yeah, and kind then, of the, the slippery time time frame. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. I did want to know. So, like, Edith totally knows the score from the beginning. Like, she Absolutely. knows. She, and we and we know she knows. And we know she knows. Like, we know that she knows. But 
it's so clear to me. So she tells both of them they're going to regret this before they drop off. I know why she says Charles is going to regret this. And also he's being like real nasty to her and being like, yeah, yeah. you're going to have to move out of your house and things like that. Like he's being a total jerk. So I understand that she like wants to like kind of um, wants to have something that will ring in his ears right before uh, Peggy chops him in two. Right. But why does she try to dissuade Peggy from this? I don't... I, I... I'm trying to remember exactly how that goes down. I think she says to Charles, she'll regret this and you'll live to regret this. I don't I, I think she's lying at the beginning because after she sends them off, right, they drive away and you see her go from being like all all upset to having that like classic like good, good. Everything is proceeding by the plan kind of she suddenly like there's this distinct change in her demeanor. Hmm. I so think maybe- she's on board for the project. That, so that, that's maybe- my that's my read. So maybe maybe she it was it was something that was important to sell Charles on this idea, like kind of like icing on the cake. I thought that she was that she was because like when she comes back, she says to Peggy, I was worried about you. So I kind of wondered if, you know, Peggy's kind of cheating the myth by having this like scumbag as opposed to someone who does actually care about her. And Aunt mm-hmm. Edith is saying like, you shouldn't do this because like this guy might try to hurt you. And that was never been a concern for any of the other women who have done this in our family before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I can totally see that reading. This is kind of like a dangerous rite of passage because um, right. at the end when, when they're talking, she says something like, and no more men still talking to Peggy like she's, you know, a child. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I think that I think that read is very legitimate. Um, you know, the sort of it, it, men folk are dangerous. I, at the end, though, when Aunt Edith is talking to Peggy, do you get kind of a weird it's sort of a like uh, uh, Pe- Peggy also tells Aunt Edith that, you know, we made a baby and she's a little girl and she's this big and she holds her fingers really close together. And it's kind of kind of weird. Um, but then Aunt Edith says is something like, oh, yes, and I will love her just like I loved you and your mother. And it. Edith, I don't know why. Um, maybe I'm just a little bit nuts. But Edith sort of suddenly has this sort of strange timeless quality. I just wrote in my notes, is Aunt Edith immortal? Question mark. <laughs> but no, I think I that kind of goes with like, the whole like you... gothic sort of or, or like, you know, ancestral like is she that, you know, I have served your family my entire life and my child just like my grandfather and his gra- it sort of has that maybe sort of. Even though it's an aunt and not, you know, a butler. She's sort of, yeah, no, she's sort of like removed from time. Because I remember when, uh, well, not necessarily removed from time. She seems unfathomably old. Like not in her, not in her, uh, like the way she looks or anything that's really, that's really like she says. She says like, you can't take that. You can't make me move. I was born in that house. As if it's like, as if like. I've been there for hundreds of years. Oh, <laughs> like, and also let, let, let's let, 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 let's provide some some background here. So they're like arguing, standing in front of what like looks like a normal. I mean, I guess nice like craftsman house. Yeah, this house, like a, this like house a is standard not, Californian craftsman. Yeah. Right, right. This isn't this this house isn't hundreds of years old. And they go to this, and they have the car breakdown, and they wind up in this like mansion that they go are at pains to tell us a couple times nobody's been in here for twenty years. Um, and there's like peeling wallpaper and it's a real like how, you know, follow the house of ushers or, you know, sort of mm-hmm. situation. So like if that if they're in the ancestral house, is the ancestral house only for making babies and killing? Is that all it's for? Because because nobody's been there for 20 years, which is presumably right. Like, right. T- nobody's been there since Peggy was conceived. 
Who knows? I mean, may, I mean, you get the sense that like it's their family's house, but maybe they're just maybe there's kind of like there's like squatting as part of their kid. There's a there's there, there's a variety of these decadent immor- these decadent decadent demonic families. And they kind of keep the house. It's a little co-op situation for like whatever you want to do. Or maybe like, you know, maybe come it's back like, next week and there's a satanic orgy in progress. Yeah, or maybe it's sort of like a maybe it's sort of like a Black Widow's timeshare sort of thing. It's like look. <laughs> You don't need the creepy killing mansion every day of the year. You just don't. When you get right. married, it's your time, and you just put in your time. The rest of the time, you can rent it out to other black widows. That's the joy. <laughs> Pays for itself. The um, well, also, like, if, if they are going to live in it full time, somebody's going to have to move that big branch, which yeah. apparently is impossible to do. Yeah, that big branch in front of the road. <laughs> the big branch in front of the road, which is somehow not in front of the mansion, yeah, is in I'll... front of the mansion, but not in front, but not in front of it enough so that they can't get through. How, how much did you love it though? When uh, when uh, we're jumping all around, but when Charles gets out of the car um, to like in, 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 investigate the branch, and he gets back in, and the keys are gone for the ignition, and he's like, "Where are the keys?" <laughs> Peggy's like, "I thought you had them," and he just gives her a look that's like. Jesus, you're dumb. <laughs> Which is also funny because he must accept that he took them out and dropped them somewhere outside. Like, he's yep. he can't possibly think, which must be what happened, right? That she has the keys, like, tucked in her pocketbook. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it was a real, it was a real, uh, it was a real get out situation at that moment. Except that he Charles also- definitely deserves to die. Yeah, but he also like accepts all kinds of things like when they when they come and there's the fire with like newspaper conveniently provided. And in fact, Peggy says, "This looks like it was laid for us." Or, was it this was for us? Laid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's just like, "Yeah, whatever. I'm just going to light this up." Like, he's like, "What whatever, Toots. I'm going to throw ar- I'm going to throw around my expensive gold gold shitty man lighter in this fireplace." Despite the fact that the phone service doesn't work, but the electricity does. And where it pains to say nobody's been in this house for 20 years. Ah, just light this up. What, what could be? Yeah. Should check the date on that newspaper. <laughs> I just like last week. Aunt Edith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the return address says Aunt Edith. Um, so, right. I do think I do like that is that that's kind of like when you start to understand that Peggy is not in danger is like when mm-hmm. she finds the key and when she's like, Oh, look, here's a fire. And then she's like, surely there must be a bed somewhere in this mansion. Like, <laughs> hey, you- look at this giant axe. above. <laughs> like the minute you see that, it's sort of a sort of a Chekhov's battle axe. <laughs> right. Oh, well, but Charles is the one who notices that she does not yeah. bring that up at all. Instead, she's yeah. too busy winding the clocks in the house and things <laughs> like that. But her like yeah. kind of mastery and control over the situation. Um, I adds adds i think to your enjoyment because i don't know about you but like i was not sad to see charles die i would have been sad if peggy didn't get away with it yes absolutely absolutely. like if she like if like if there was some sort of like twist in the end where where she fell down the stairs or something like that i would have been man who was death style the police show up with no explanation you're on death row for murder peggy A real clue situation. Yeah. A real 13 dead-end driver. <laughs> Communism is only a red herring. The world's slowest detective is walking up and sometimes <laughs> down your driveway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, but, Mary, I think, I think we have a, 
we, we have been remiss this entire time because while there are two principal characters in this in this episode, there is a third that we have not yet mentioned. The house. Yeah. I love a good haunted house story, and this is this is the first one that we've been served up from Tales from the Crypt. Um I mean it's so classic. Like, you know, kind of a car breaking down on a strange, dark road and people being forced to take shelter in a strange, dark place. Yeah, I was expecting Dr. Frankenfurter to show up. Well, it is very much like Rocky Horror. That is actually what I would describe it as, because it's sort of like this weird place you go to become a sexual being. Mm -hmm. It felt it felt very there's a light over at the Frankenstein place. And I, th- I think we should also clarify, this is a haunted house, but like only kind of technically a haunted house. They're, the ghosts don't interact with anyone. Um, they don't, uh, they're just reenacting the past. You know, this isn't a uh, Amityville horror or like poltergeist kind of situation. No, but I think maybe, that it, maybe Maybe not even The Shining. But I, I mean, think it no. operates on similar rules. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying this is kind of like a, lo- like, 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 like a lowercase h haunted house. Like... This is a house where terrible things happen. Also, it happens to be haunted. Right. It's a house where terrible things happen. And um, and the person who is there is is haunted by those spirits and those yeah, stories yeah. and is reenacting those terrible things. I mean, actually, in some ways, it's exactly like The Shining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Where you have like a place, a place that's history is so strong. It's just that there are familial ties. It's sort of like The Shining mashed together with Psycho. Like the Shining, if 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 all the characters were also dead Native Americans, it's like the Shining. <laughs> if you had to compress it into a twenty-three minute time span, <laughs> if you do that, if you want if you... 20, 23 minutes and Amanda Plummer gets two sex scenes, yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly, twenty-three minutes and Amanda Plummer gets two sex scenes. You gotta cut out some of the bare fellatio nonsense that's in the original Shining. <laughs> so um, I. I, I did a little Felatio. bit of <laughs> in, in the uh, in the um, ghost hunting biz. What we see here is a classic residual haunting. Oh, that's where um, you know you have uh, psychic echoes or energy from traumatic or significant events that is stored in the building or location like a battery, and then will discharge at random or specific moments and spirits will reenact past actions um sometimes visually sometimes just sounds or breathing or footsteps and this is actually the most common kind of haunting uh and um the ghosts usually don't according according to who dr quackenberg i am glad that you asked this because i am fully ready to cite all of my sources and this is according to TheParanormalMD.com, <laughs> which I used for all of my ghost research. And uh, is it they, like kind of the Mayo Clinic for ghost research? Yeah, like yeah, probably, probably for like for like guys who are like running around with like little elect- like feeling electromagnetic fields. Be like, I feel cold. I got a cold spot. <laughs> oh, look at auras, auras, aura circles. Yeah, but I mean, I think that that pretty much match that matches up here, unless unless you're like some sort of weird person who believes that this was all just a dream that Charles had a surprisingly eerie dream. I don't believe that. I do yeah, yeah, like, that's, that, I that's do boring. like that's boring. That's what's weak. That's weak, weak and fake. 
I do like that Charles decides he's going to fling himself at a woman who's wielding an axe. But also, after only after she's like chopped the guy like one oh or two yeah, times, only after the guy is like he's strangely passive. Dead. I, I actually this and is, this the is woman a, has kissed the man's neck wound and her mouth is literally dripping with his blood. Yeah, Amanda Plummer loves that. You could tell she loves chopping those guys with the axe. Pretty, but pretty fun. Good, look, great, great practical blood. I think as a as a, sure, surely you, Mary, as an aficionado of horror movies, have an opinion on all the digital blood. Hate it. Looks terrible. Looks like garbage. Yeah. No, I think that the I think I think this particular episode walks the perfect line between being low stakes enough to be actually enjoyable. Like you don't really care if if that Charles is going to die, but you do have some like skin in the game. Like you, it 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 gives you a situation where you have to pick one of the two evils. So Mm -hmm. you do you are on the aggressor side, which is an interesting thing you feel when you watch a horror movie, Mm -hmm. and. or at least a connection with the aggressor that makes you pity them one way or mm-hmm. the other. And um, I think that it was like gory without being too gross. Yeah, you know, yeah. like there's a lot of like blood splatter and like and like axes wielded from like above above the head, like bringing it down to punching blows with sounds of like crunching bones and splitting flesh without like making it too gross. Like you could eat a slice of pizza and watch this if you wanted. Oh, yeah, yeah. This this, this episode felt actually relatively tame in that respect. You know, I think the uh, if anybody was going to have a beef with what was seen, it's got to be the sex and the brief shot of man butt that happens in it. Woo woo woo! Man bun alert! Man bun alert! No, um, no breasts in this one though. Just some man buns. Although Amanda Plummer does subvert the bra sex girl on top trope. By taking I thought this off. was actually quite subversive. So she does that, but doesn't show her boob, which I did think mm-hmm. was interesting. Yeah, sure. And we get man bun, and it's an it's a it subverts man bun like just one. <laughs> well, he kind of has a unibun. <laughs> His. <laughs> man buns um and i think it also is interesting that it sort of plays on it, it gives you a play on like the virgin never dies sort of trope where she has to become a sexual being and then she's prepared to kill him mm-hmm. yeah so maybe this is maybe this is the uh, perhaps potentially the only tales from the crypt that could be considered feminist or at least female gaze <laughs> maybe Maybe, but also could be like sort of weirdly cartoonishly misandrist. Like this is what this is what a proud boy thinks feminist horror would be. And then he kills she kills him for no reason whatsoever. And then she kills him for his glorious sperm. You're so yeah. right. Yeah, You're yeah, so yeah. right. <laughs> the the director does a great job. They cut sort of cut to the house for reaction shots. We have this clock <laughs> with a spinning silver pendulum, which I think I feel this must be intentional. To me at least very much mirrors the axe. Kind of looks yeah. like it's made out of the same sort of fakeish metal and stuff. Um, so we cut well, and to the clock. Well, it's also like it's constantly it's swinging back and forth. Yeah, I see right. that. That's yeah, a yeah. very good call. And, and and we see the lover statue. And so like when he's like aggressively deflowering her in a sort of distasteful way, it it keeps it zooms in on the faces of the of the lovers. So it's sort of a ah, zoom, ah, zoom, like the house is sort of like cut to the house for reaction shot um, kind of deal. <laughs> <laughs> I wish cool. it literally it's... cuts the house for reaction shots where it like cuts the outside of the house and the house like door like the f- front door is its mouth and it's like these assholes, right? <laughs> I just sort of imagine the house just sort of like somehow just sort of shrugs and is like, yep, it's a living. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Or is like 
<laughs> is like, well, that's none of my business. And like, kind of like roll and like closes its window shades. At least I don't have to be the house of leaves. <laughs> <laughs> Every haunted house for reaction shot. Hey, at least I'm not the house of leaves. <laughs> so did you enjoy this episode? Um, I did. I did. I, um, I think, uh, I think I enjoyed talking about it and thinking about it more than I actually enjoyed watching it. Um, I think it's it's a little bit obvious, there, but there is fun stuff there. Uh, so I would give this one a pretty standard three little tiny baby girls just this big. No! Are you kidding me? That's mine too. <laughs> <laughs> great minds. Great minds. Um, okay. I think we should allow it. The commissioner of Crypt Creepers should allow it. Well, mine was 3.5 because I do, I feel like I like sure. how clever and tight this one is. Like this mm-hmm. is a tight story and it's definitely, it's like one of my favorite kind of horror movies in that it takes place in a haunted house and it's just the whole story is you're just waiting for like the the other shoe to drop they give you this like situation where you think you know all of the pieces and you but you know there has to be some inversion of it and you're just waiting for that to happen i think that's very fun it's very yeah, suspenseful yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. and it requires it requires clever storytelling so i gave it 3.3.5 <laughs> little baby girls that are only this big <laughs> That's Mary, I crazy. Feel like it only took us five episodes to do that. I think I think I, need, I think we need to break in here for a second. Um, I realize we we haven't been talking about the bumpers with the crypt with the crypt keeper like oh, at that's all. That's true. We need to. And I think some of that is because let's be real. The first season puppet kind of sucks. He doesn't and wear. I mean, like he they blew all his costume uh, money budget on that on that upsetting Santa disguise. <laughs> yeah. Really scary Santa suit. It's not even really, it's it's a Santa suit, but it's a Santa suit the same way like if Buffalo Bill made a Santa suit. Like it's a suit that was <laughs> once Santa. Well, the very upsetting mask, to say the least, of a human face. And 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 John Cassier is doing a great job. I mean, he's he's he, the crypt the crypt. Keeper has not fully sort of developed his voices. He's not quite as like fast talking and jokey. Whispery. Yeah, very I, whispery. Think, I think you can tell they're trying. They're trying for more of a like slow burn, scary thing. But just the puppet is not very good. It's not as good as it is later. Um, and I think that kind of kind of limits our enjoyment. But I, I would hate to think that uh, John Cassier, who like basically is the f- is is the face, heart, and soul of the franchise, um, is maybe not getting his just due from us. Um, I, I did notice that in this episode, he says, something. he says, um, you know, if you're going to marry somebody, you better, better check the closets and make sure anything, fo- nothing falls out. And then he says, beware of skeletons unless they're yours truly. Does yeah. the Crypt Keeper think he's a skeleton? Uh, it's a good question. Is the Crypt Keeper merely telling us the stories or is he also writing them? Is he a skeleton? <laughs> I will say, questions. I will say, make sure to check. Make sure to check your closets to make sure check their closets to make sure nothing falls out is like a solid joke. That's a solid joke. Right. But I do like that he's like, but I'm allowed to be in your loved one's closets. That's really weird. What? If there's a, le- a weird... If there's a leathery muppet in your <laughs> in your wife to be's closet. You just gotta be like, hey babe, you big uh, Tales from the Crypt fan? Here's you, uh here's what would happen. Family friend if, with John if, if something that was the Crypt Keeper fell out of my husband's closet, I would be like, when did you get an E.T. puppet and when can I throw it away? <laughs> <laughs> it cannot be in our house. The answer to both those questions are are very recently and absolutely as soon as you would like to. <laughs> I didn't know Muppets could rot. <laughs> Jesus. 
<laughs> very upsetting. <laughs> very upsetting. Next time, uh, we'll be checking in with a pair of silver-haired lovebirds with a compl- with complimentary pet projects when we'll be wrapping up the first season of Tales from the Crypt with episode six, Collection Completed. If you would like to help support the show and Tales from the Crypt uh, directly and John Kassir, who is a class act, you can purchase <laughs> the DVDs. Are you and John Kassir best friends? <laughs> I'm I'm hoping I can get him on the pod if I just keep mentioning him. <laughs> also, right, he's the he is the only he's the only stable piece of this whole operation, which is both brilliant and perhaps somewhat frustrating. That's true. Yeah. All right. Go carry on. You can uh, follow our Amazon affiliated link in the show description um, to purchase the DVDs or, frankly, anything else that you uh, fancy on Amazon. Though I don't know that John Casir gets a cut of any of that. So. Uh, do the right thing. Click the link. Stop watching the show illegally. Um, On the YouTube. The quality is terrible, our mother oh tells God. us. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now who's speaking directly to our parents? Uh, thank you for listening to Crypt Keepers. Please check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or the platform of your choice to subscribe, rate, and review us. Woo-hoo. Be sure to visit OutrageousMechanisms.com slash Crypt-Creepers to see our show notes and find other excellent podcasts. Till next time, kitties. Poor Charles. He thought he'd cash in his meal ticket, only to find out that he was a bit overdrawn at the blood bank. <laughs> <laughs> An outrageous, An outrageous mechanism's, mechanism's production. production.